Hello and welcome to episode 227 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is November 29th, 2020. You'll be listening to this on November 30th, 2020. But I'm Rollo McFlugel and with me is my co-host Slappy Jones. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 227. We are in the midst of a Black Friday Christmas sale over at libertymugs.com where you can get 25% off your entire purchase there for anything listed. Uh, We're doing this in conjunction with bitcoinblackfriday.com. So uh, once you go fill your shopping cart, get your Christmas shopping done, because we finally are in the Christmas season. Today begins the beginning of Advent, so it is official. Uh, It's officially Advent. Yes, so we we have begun the Christmas season um so you can you can officially start getting your christmas shopping done and what what better way than to give your loved ones your enemies friends families teachers uh, the, yes teachers and, government uh, officials ways to show off in front of the peons who don't have as much money as you yes give them a liberty mug or two and then once you're done spending all your money at liberty mugs which you can buy with bitcoin which we would prefer, uh, but we'll take any, we'll take your dollars too. But uh, have it, head over to BitcoinBlackFriday.com too, because they've got a lot of of great deals going on for all sorts of companies uh, in the Bitcoin world. So it's good stuff over there. So Slappy, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great. It's good. Yeah, uh, lots of food, lots of good stuff. Uh, you know, got together with family. It's a good deal. Yep. Yeah, mine was good too. Got to see family, you know, most of the family and everything. And, you know, I've got some good things to report back on it. Uh, well, dinner was delicious. But also, pretty much all of my family thinks that COVID's a joke. And also, my uh, my dad asked me about buying Bitcoin which he had never done that before. He's always kind of interested because he, he knew that, you know, number was going up, but he finally said, like, you know, do you think I should buy Bitcoin? Because every time I mentioned it to him before, he was just like, nah, it's whatever. I don't, don't want to mess with that. But he finally said, finally was interested in doing it. So it's kind of a kind of a big moment. And I, my other brother was uh, kind of seemed like he was interested too. And then I have another brother who actually I found out he has been buying Bitcoin. Excellent. Uh, I just got to help him not leave it on the exchange. So I got to work on that. Yeah. Maybe I'll send him over to the ad, uh, that article I just wrote about how to, how to run a full node. So I want to talk about that later. But Slappy, why don't you uh, introduce sure. what we're going to talk about in the beginning? Cool. Let's, uh, let's rip through this article from libertarianism.org titled Bitcoin. That's the title, right? Um, is that the category? Is there no title? No, it should be something. I think the title is something like uh, libertarianism.org guide to Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have a date on it. Do you know when it's from? Yeah, it's November 24th, 2020. Hmm. 
It's all the way. It's down at the bottom, and you can you can, there it uh, is. Yeah, November you can you can say who it's by. You can butcher that last name. Diego Zuluaga. Zuluaga. I don't know. All right, there we go. Cool. Why don't I uh, rip through it? We'll comment on it. Yeah. Um. All right. Here we go. Because it's interesting. Because it's like we. Uh, it, well, uh, let's just kind of preface it with this. A few weeks sure. ago. We were because libertarianism.org is more of a normie, if you will, libertarian website. Um, and two weeks ago, episode 225, we were talking about libertarian uh, strategies for libertarians and how, you know, a lot of the normies do it. It's just, it's just brutal and kind of the L. And I, I don't even know, I don't follow libertarianism.org that much. I don't know how much, neither do I. I don't know how much they uh, care about the LP. Um, but I've seen some things from them that have been good and also things that have been questionable. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about how the best strategy is we think that like, you know, and hearings. You, go ahead. I was gonna say you put this in the good category. Uh, let's see. <laughs> all right. All right. But I was, I was, my point was that at the end of that episode was saying that, I really think that libertarians should be promoting and pushing Bitcoin a lot because it is by far the most leverage that we can get, especially when we've seen that all these other strategies just either obviously don't work or we've tried them and it's just there's really not much happening to it. So when I when I saw this, it's, oh, it's, it's good. They're, they're talking about Bitcoin right after I come. They, you know, they must listen to the podcast. Um, but uh. Yeah, let's get into it to see see what we think about how good of a job they did. Because that's the tough thing. When you start going off on explaining things and certain ideas, I think it's your responsibility to make sure you understand it well and present good information. So, Agreed. Um, all right, I'm going to get it started, and then uh, I'll just stop after each paragraph, and we'll go. All right, so here it is. In the past decade, it has been hard to avoid talk of Bitcoin online, particularly in libertarian circles. But for many, it is still a somewhat confusing and esoteric topic. So what is this piece of software and why have advocates of liberty been so enthusiastic about it? All right, I think that's a good question, and I think it's true, and it's on a lot of people's minds because now that the price is so high – well, whenever it gets high, whenever there's bull runs, people are like, you know, I got to get in this. I got to find out. People ask me about it. Some of them pull the trigger. Others don't. But like, you know, they always talk about, I got to get it. I got to get it. I got to get it. Then the price goes up and they say, ah, I should have got it. Um, but people are confused about what it is. So I think that's, you know, a legitimate way to start the. Absolutely. Start the- that's why like number go up technology is very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if uh, you want me to just keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, I, okay. I'm with you there. I thought that's fine to, to set it up. Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer electronic payment system and the first cryptocurrency, that is, a digital medium of exchange that relies on cryptography. Invented in 2008 and launched in early 2009, Bitcoin uses complex mathematics and decentralized verification to enable digital transactions without an intermediary. While hundreds of cryptocurrencies have followed in its wake, Bitcoin remains the most valuable. With a market capitalization of $294 billion, as of 
mid-November 2020. I took out the parentheses, obviously. Uh, Bitcoin, do you, want, do you have anything to say there? Well, we'll just say that, that the parentheses little side comment was... 64.9% yeah. of all market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies. Yeah. The one thing I'll nitpick a little bit, just because it's a confusing thing, and I don't want to imbue any sort of, not malice, but uh, just the, when he says Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronics payment system. Yes, but like it's, 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 I don't think that's a, I don't think that's necessarily a good description of it. Just because, you know, when you hear payments, you think that it's like, oh, well, I should be able to, you know, give you $1. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, U.S. dollars. And very but, cheap. you know. Just not, not $1, but like a very small amount. And it's and people will be like, well, Bitcoin's too expensive to be a payment system on chain. It's, it's, it's. I'll read the, uh, why don't you go read the white paper sometime? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but see, I mean, it's look. I'm I'm going to go easy on them because this is supposed to be an in intro type. Yeah, and that's why I, that's why I hesitated to come. And I'm like, I'm nitpicking here, but it's it's just because yeah. it's it's I, I don't like I said I don't want to imbue any sort of him trying to create bad intent or being misleading or something. Yes, technically it's a payment system, but when people think that's, I think that's where a lot of confusion comes with why people have a problem with Bitcoins that go, well, it's too expensive to be used as a payment system. It's like, well, right. on the on-chain layer, yes, but it's like it's a it's a it's a like well, you said the look at the white paper, but uh, Satoshi Nakamoto described it as a peer-to-peer -peer cash system, mm -hmm. and cash just means final settlement that you hand something over. You hand the whatever it is that you're using as money over to the other person, and it's settled. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's where that is. So I think a better a better way uh, to describe it is, well, a peer to peer cash system. But even that's confusing for a lot of people. Um, you just say peer to peer money system is maybe what I peer to peer electronic money system, digital money. Although it's go. not money yet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what makes it difficult to explain sometimes yeah. you, you try to be and, and it turns into like all these little threads and nitpicky things. But yeah, um, I, we probably already spent too much time on this. I think, yeah, I think most I listeners agree. under that we have kind of get that. Sure. So Bitcoin, a privately issued me medium of exchange is a libertarian answer to a problem many libertarians care deeply about. The abuse and seizure of private property by the state. History is replete with examples of governments that exploited their monopoly privileges to debase the currency at the public's expense. There have also been many, albeit less systematic, instances of private schemes to deceive people into handing over control of their funds. These public and private abuses cause a great deal of damage both to their direct victims and to the general public whose trust in financial institutions is undermined. Uh, you want me to keep reading? Yeah, that was, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Pretty straightforward, right? In a bid to tie the hands of these institutions, societies have over time evolved many arrangements from the competitive provisions of banknotes to their 
redeemability in gold, and more recently, the creation of explicit rules for central bank operations. But Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous, I can never say that. Pseudonymous. Pseudonymous. Uh, inventor of Bitcoin attempt <clears throat> attempted something altogether more radical. Worried that reliance on third parties increased transaction costs and impeded non-reversible payments for non-reversible services on the internet, Nakamoto proposed a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, allowing any willing parties to transact directly with each other without intermediaries. Before um, Bitcoin, yeah. Was he worried about transaction costs? I mean, maybe because that is one of the advantages of of a fiat system, is that it's they made it a lot cheaper to do transactions, mm -hmm. especially you know, well, and they made made it made gave you the ability to make transactions over the internet. Um, having a physical money system where like you use you know physical gold, um. It's hard to buy stuff yeah, online. Yeah, you can't like do that. And, and you can move. Or... And now you could have money certificates and everything. Yeah. You know, dot, but, but like, um, I guess that wasn't around when before, uh, you know, the internet wasn't really around and you didn't have commerce over the internet when we still had a, uh, you know, the money was, was ultimately gold and, the dollars were certificates for gold. Um, but even still, uh, I mean, the fiat system does solve a lot of those, <laughs> I'll say solve those problems at, at dear, dear cost <laughs> to the rest of us. But the fact that they can just kind of be like, all right, well, this place has money now. We can do this. It, it makes it a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that was necessarily a problem. It was more, um Probably. yeah it, it was more that it, when you when you have when you have a third party intermediary then that's a censorship opportunity for them um and when governments control the monetary supply they can inflate the money system so it's mm -hmm. you know it, it, it when the government takes a monopoly on uh on the money system it just they get power it's uh, the Cantillon effect that they are the first, the closest to the money spigot, and therefore they get the most advantage by adding, adding new supply. Uh, them and their and their close buddies, while the the rest of us suffer because we're getting our. In order for them to do that, it ultimately has to extract some wealth from us, but they're getting that uh. They're getting that initial jolt of money before it's gone through the rest of the economy and prices have adjusted. So, um, yeah, they're 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 using their power and control for their own advantage at the cost of everybody else. And <laughs> no one would do that. No one would allow that system to happen if if we were all able to kind of give our two cents about it. Agreed. So, before Bitcoin, attempts to bring peer-to-peer -peer payments to internet commerce had foundered on the double spending problem. This is the challenge of preventing users from spending the same funds more than once. Solutions have had inevitably involved an intermediary payment processor such as PayPal 
charged with ensuring that buyers had the money to pay sellers and that sellers delivered as agreed, all in exchange for a fee. By combining cryptography and blockchain technology, whereby all past transactions are listed in a public ledger and consensus is required to add new ones, Bitcoin overcame the double spending problem for the first time, allowing users to protect their funds from theft while encouraging other users to verify transactions in exchange for a fee. Um, that's uh, That paragraph was fine, except he's technically incorrect on that last sentence. Um, the verifying transactions yes. for a fee part? Yes. Yeah. Um, there is no fee for verifying transactions. Uh, that just happens as as the transaction gets sent around uh, yep. the node network. Um, the fee Which does not. Yeah. You don't make money running a node. No. The fee happens when miners add that transaction to the ledger. Mm-hmm. But ultimate, like the miners do validate the transaction with their node, but um, you know everyone else is doing it. The only way it got to the to the node or the the miner was was by propagating it through the network. That everyone else that that received it and sent it to their to the nodes they were the peers they were connected to, they all validated it um, or verified it. So yeah, it, it's. Small point, but I think it's worth worth saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, as if to affirm Bitcoin's libertarian bona fides, in 1999, Milton Friedman, the free market economist and Nobel laureate, predicted something very much like it. Quote, I think that the internet is going to be one of the major forces for reducing the role of government, end quote, Friedman said. He went on. The one thing that's missing but that will soon be developed is a reliable e-cash, a method, a method whereby on the internet you can transfer funds from A to B without A knowing B or B knowing A. The way in which I can take a $20 bill and hand it over to you and there's no record of where it came from. Yeah, that's, well, just to, I, he goes on the, the very next sentence is Bitcoin was the first first such viable e-cash. First such reliable e-cash, and, yeah. Yeah, that, that is... Milton Friedman was describing cash and and then digital cash, which I mean that was that was a pretty uh, bright observation that Friedman made. You know, he, he nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much the because uh, Bitcoin wasn't the first attempt at this. There there are a bunch of others like uh, uh, was it Beagold, uh, Hashcash, or Eagold or something. There there are yeah. a couple. Couple iterations, and they couldn't couldn't solve the double spending problem, and a few other things. Uh, but Satoshi Nakamoto made that made that final uh, improvement on it that allowed it to all work uh, by you know by just you know proof of work and combining all the other stuff together, the things that it they couldn't get. Um, I just wish. That it wasn't Milton Friedman who who had that because <laughs> Milton Friedman was a dirty monetarist. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, oh, but, but hey, alas, but alas, yeah, give credit, yeah. Um, okay, so Bitcoin was the first such viable e-cash, but despite its promoters' best hopes, Bitcoin has not yet achieved the status of money. 
as it is not a generally accepted medium of exchange. Because the willingness of any person to use something as money depends on other people's inclination to accept it, Bitcoin, a startup challenger to, the estab to established exchange media like the U.S. dollar, faces long odds in that quest. To date, only fringe jurisdictions such as Venezuela, where the domestic currency has become worthless thanks to relentless government-induced inflation, have seen limited adoption of Bitcoin as a shield against the erosion of savings and a means to circumvent capital controls. Um, Anything to say on that paragraph? Yes. So I agree with him that it is not yet money. It's not money. And I... yeah. That's something that if anyone knows me, despite that, its best hopes, that would have been nice if it was money by yeah, now. It's not yet money. It, yeah, that's something I harp <laughs> on all the time. And he's and he's correct yeah. because money is the generally accepted medium of exchange. That's still the dollar in the U.S. Um, um I, so. It's kind of like where he brings up Venezuela. Yeah, they're using Bitcoin in Venezuela a lot. Um, a lot of it is for remittance payments and getting money for people, you know, friends and family that are in Latin America and stuff trying to get money across borders. They can't do it uh, using the, the legacy systems. But it allows them to... Uh, Bitcoin allows them with just memorizing... A, a couple seed words that they can, you know, transfer money back and forth between people that their governments can't do anything about it. And, um, yeah, inflation's really, really bad, um, in Venezuela and they're using it. Yeah. And, and I agree it is, it helps prevent the erosion of savings, but it's also just, the, they need to use it day to day almost a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. there's been some good reporting on, on, on everything that goes down back there. But also, um, I mean, MicroStrategies just bought half a billion dollars in Bitcoin. And Michael Saylor, their CEO, has been very outspoken about why he did it because he has no faith that the dollar is going to be able to allow him to uh, maintain the value of his company when he's holding cash. So, and Square, Square just bought, what, 50 million or something to hold in there as, as cash reserves. That That's not like Square also owns Cash App and they, they, you know, buy and sell Bitcoin for people. But that, this is something separate. This is them holding Bitcoin as cash. If it's a million dollars. Right. I have a very hard time believing that those are the only two big companies out there buying Bitcoin. And so, like, I think it's... Especially when you see how the price went up recently. Yeah, so I think it's really kind of ignorant um, or misleading to say that, like, oh, the only people really using Bitcoin for anything is uh, people Venezuelans. in Venice, fringe jurisdictions like Venezuela. Also, like, uh, is it Iran? is like officially is, is using Bitcoin for like using for like trade with other countries and stuff like nice. Um, I think they set up, was it Venezuela or Iran set up a BTC pay server for, for stuff too. Like um, it's not just like, you know, 
a couple people just trying to, you know, not have their, you know, their paychecks be worth zero uh, over the course of two days in a place like Venezuela, that does happen. There's a lot bigger stuff going on. Um, and like you said, especially with the price, you know, zooming up in the last week or so, last month, um, you know, that there's a limited supply, you know, it's, it's yeah, increasing, kind of but investment yeah, or uh, so it just means demand has to be going up somewhere. Uh, that demand's not coming from Venezuela. It's coming from other places. And, and you know, you have yeah. to ask, well, why would people want Bitcoin? Now there's some people that are just doing it because they want to they want to flip it for dollars and they and they see that they can you know trade it and everything. Um, but I'm mean, just going to bring up MicroStrategy again. They bought half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Like that's not a small play, and uh, it, it's just if you're going to talk about uh, adoption of Bitcoin, you just simply can't ignore that. Because it's doing what Bitcoin was kind of established to do. It's the Fed. The Federal Reserve is awful. And it just wipes out your ability to, you know, maintain your wealth by holding dollars. So Bitcoin's there to, to fix that. Yeah. And now MicroStrategy has a way to insulate themselves against the doings of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government. I think if you ask any Bitcoiner who's hodling out there... They're doing it for the same reason. So, uh, to say Bitcoin has seen that, you know, have seen limited adoption of Bitcoin as a shield against erosions of savings and a means to circumvent capital controls. That's not just happening in, you know, quote, fringe jurisdictions such as Venezuela. That's happening everywhere in the most developed of countries, including the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I think I've harped on that enough. Yeah. So further afield, Bitcoin has awakened private companies and governments to new opportunities for uh, innovation you, in you, electronic. Uh, you missed a paragraph. Yeah, yeah. probably because that's this is going to be yeah. the one that, that makes me lower the gas. Yeah, I probably did that on purpose <laughs> then. Um, but while Bit, <laughs> but but while Bitcoin you has, want, you don't want to hear me go. Ree! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, here we here we go. I tried. I tried, everyone. All right. But while Bitcoin has so far had little impact as a direct competitor to major fiat monies like the dollar and the euro, its influence on payments innovation is hard to overstate. Bitcoin has spawned thousands of other cryptocurrencies that rely on similar software to make transactions possible without a middleman. Perhaps the most famous and the second most valuable such derivative cryptocurrency is Ethereum, which its creator, Vitalik Buterin, as described as a world computer where anyone can upload and run programs that are guaranteed to be executed exactly as written on a highly robust and decentralized consensus network consisting of thousands of computers around the world. Wow. So that's <laughs> everyone probably thought that he was going to speak badly about tractors, but no, he said something even worse. He spoke nicely of Ethereum. So, yeah. um, it's funny because a lot of people that are not Bitcoin maximalists, when they hear us talk about, uh, you know, all these other altcoins and we say they're all scams and they can't do it, they claim to do. I know it sounds like, oh, you just like your little pet project and everything else is garbage. No, 
like, I challenge you to like look stuff up and and learn about this stuff, and you should, you you will come to the same conclusion. I mean, just this sentence: Bitcoin has spawned thousands of other cryptocurrencies that rely on similar software to make transactions possible without a middleman. Pretty much all of these other cryptocurrencies, I can't name one that isn't, do rely on middlemen because they're not decentralized. And Ethereum is the prime example of it. There are very few nodes that people run. And we spent a lot of time in the last episode with Carr talking about the importance of running a node and why that keeps things decentralized, why you're not relying on someone else to give you information about what's going on in the network. And just... This Vitalik uh, quote, anyone can upload and run programs that are guaranteed to be executed exactly as written on a highly robust and decentralized consensus network consisting of thousands of computers around the world. Well, just a week or two ago, uh, Ethereum had a secret hard fork because something went wrong and they didn't tell anyone about it because they were nervous because I forget what exactly the bug was. Um and it made them go like it just bricked a bunch of people's software and like big players in Ethereum that their nodes were no longer in consensus. And it messed a lot of stuff up where you can look back to when they hard forked another time with the uh, Ethereum versus Ethereum classic problem because they yeah. created this whatever it was and the software had a bug in it. And someone figured out the bug and and exploited it out of money. And they said, well, actually, that's not what we intended. So, you know, the very, yeah, cent- the chain, yeah, the right? very centralized, uh, you know, mining and node operators rolled it back and, and you know, took the money back from them and started, started down another path. A hard fork and there are a bunch of people that said hey no i mean this is supposed to be decentralized and you know whatever the whatever is agreed to by the the network consensus is what's what it is and that's where ethereum classic came from uh because they wanted to stay true to you know at least try to stay true to the ethos but you know no one uh, i think ethereum classic still exists but you know it never had any sort of market power compared to ethereum so it's just it's just nonsense like go go try running an ethereum node go try running a full fully validating ethereum node um unless you've got like a massive server and you know really good internet connection and just like a massive amount of processing power you simply can't do it. Whereas Bitcoin, I spooled up a node in a couple days on a on a laptop that would go to sleep and lose its internet connection every a lot, <laughs> and, and I still was able to do it in a day de- in, in a couple days. Now that was with an you know an SSD drive, but I think most laptops have that now. An HDD mm-hmm. drive. Um, takes a little bit longer but you know still even if it took you a week or two 
that's better on, on a on a cheap old laptop and and an average inner even below average internet connection. That's better than simply not being able to do it. And the other thing is that there's 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 payment innovation happening on Bitcoin. Like I don't think he mentioned the Lightning Network in this article, but you can have instant transactions in Bitcoin using Lightning, and uh, for really really cheap. Uh, and it's and it's guaranteed by the, you know, by the blockchain and everything. So if there's a, you know, you can you can always go back and settle on 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 chain. So it's secure. You're not giving. You're not losing security, um, by going on Lightning. And there's other things going on too, like uh, uh, what's uh, like there's some sidechain stuff, and you might lose a little bit of security doing that kind of thing. Security as far as um, not relying on third parties, but um, you know, using something like. A liquid sidechain is still better than using an altcoin that is just totally centralized and you're relying on other people for doing so many other things. And a lot of these other networks, even if they have, you know, nodes running around and you don't have, you know, one or two people who can literally control everything, uh, their hash rate is just so puny that anyone who wanted to spend the capital to, uh, you know, run a, run a mining attack on them could do it. So if yes. they wanted to. Whereas Bitcoin, it, it would just be this enormous cost to do it. Great website, how many comps.com. If you want to see how secure Bitcoin is compared to these uh or, or how you know what kind of final settlement and, and how much time you can get in Bitcoin compared to other stuff. It's uh it's it's quite the stark contrast. Um, so once again, it's like you can't you can't make these claims about these other things without mentioning, or you can't make the claims about you know oh all this payment innovation happening on these other things like Ethereum, which just simply doesn't work. It's centralized, while Bitcoin actually is doing these things. Um, I don't know if it's. Uh, a lot of people kind of do this. They want... Eh, I'll save that for later. I think he's a... Uh, yeah, I'll save that point for later. That's all I had to rant on about that, I guess. Okay. I'll continue to the paragraph I wanted to read before that one. <laughs> Further field, Bitcoin has awakened private companies and governments to new opportunities for innovation in electronic payments. Multinational firms ranging from Facebook and its Libra Association partners to J.P. Morgan have developed their own proprietary private currencies, while several leading central banks are exploring digital versions of the paper notes they have issued for decades. Unlike Bitcoin, these private and central bank digital currencies would not be peer-to-peer, but issued by an intermediary. Yet they would be unlikely to exist even as prototypes without the intellectual and entrepreneurial impetus that Bitcoin provided. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think Bitcoin adds pressure to them to try to innovate and stuff and speed things up because Certainly. I mean, uh, it's it's there's <laughs> the legacy system is pretty slow and clunky and expensive mm-hmm. compared to Bitcoin. So, um, 
at least at least for getting the kind of final settlement that Bitcoin does. I mean, they've got layers on top of it for, you know, you want to send a Zelle payment or something. It's it's instant and everything. Um, but on their on their base layers, it's it's pretty slow, expensive, clunky, all that kind of stuff. I mean, um, you can compare a Bitcoin on chain transaction to a wire transfer and uh, Bitcoin's cheaper and faster. Mm -hmm. Well, it depends, depends. Um, and Bitcoin's actually less terrifying to send than a wire transfer. Wire tra I hate, I terrifying. hate doing a wire transfer. Yeah. Settling on the mortgage. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It's like, this is the biggest, this is the most money I've ever spent in my life by far. And, uh, yeah, if there. I got one of these numbers of letters wrong, it's uh, going away forever. And uh, just Facebook's Libra, it's likely never to launch because it's permissioned. I was going to say, is that still a thing or I being talked about? I don't really think so. I, I hear about it every once in a while, but like that stuff is never going to work because there's a neck to grab. And even if they do launch it, it's just going to be so regulated and so censored and so under the control of the governments, it's going to be like, if they're going to allow you to do something, it's going to be on their terms. So it's going to be a pile of garbage and they're just yeah. simply not interesting. These, you know, proprietary private currencies, because it, it it's not, it, it's not money. It can't be money. It's just, It, it, it's they can they can control it and and you know change it so they've got no shot against bitcoin in the long run all right so removing the previously indispensable trusted third party is bitcoin's main innovation but also the chief barrier to its growth running a payments network without an intermediary is expensive in Bitcoin's case, users spend copious amounts of electricity solving hard math problems as a way to verify transactions, which they add to a long train of transaction blocks on the public Bitcoin ledger or blockchain. This system increases the cost of attempting to defraud the network, but it also makes Bitcoin transactions slower and costlier to process compared with intermediated networks such as Visa and PayPal. Even as a replacement to highly imperfect central bank money, Bitcoin has shortcomings. As the pre-programmed and fixed supply of Bitcoins intended to protect against their future intended to protect against their future depreciation would make it ill-suited to deliver macroeconomic stability were it to gain general acceptance. Oh boy, where do you want to start on this one? Yeah, I kind of want to skip this. I one. don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, no, because this is going to extend the. Uh, we're thirty-eight minutes. This is going to take us to about an hour and thirty-eight minutes. Yeah, let's start on that. Uh, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So removing the previous. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, that first uh, sentence is fine. Yeah. Again, like here's he's just um, he's just he's getting technical stuff wrong, and it's like I would. It's not because he's trying to, you know, simplify it for people. Like I, I, you know, I would give him, I would give him some leeway for that. It's like ah, he kind of, 
he he he, he turned he turned a corner people. a little bit tighter than he should have just so he didn't have to go into this whole thing. But this thing in Bitcoin's case, users spend copious amounts of electricity solving hard math problems as a way to, to verify transactions. No, they don't. That's just that's incorrect. Users like you're just running a piece of software on a laptop if you're running say, a node. Like the verifying of transactions is is very easy and not that you know, labor intensive or electricity intensive for, for your computer. What is uses the copious amounts of electricity are the miners. So it's misleading to mm-hmm. call miners users because when you think of users, you think of the average person. Anyone yeah. who holds it. Also, and, and, like- and, and just to, to complete that, that thought, again, the... The expense goes into mining. Mining is not for verifying transactions. It's for solving the next block to give you the ability, the key, or the, the basically the, 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 thing, the thing that allows you to, to update the ledger. Is you have to, to solve a mathematical puzzle that allows you, that, that gives you the right to the Bitcoin in the next block and for you to add, put your little signature into the block header to propagate out to everyone and say, "Hey, this this is what go. These are all the transactions that Got go it. next." It is the electricity does not go to verifying transactions. It goes to guessing. Yes, Trading the blocks. which is yeah. just guessing uh, big numbers as fast as you can to solve a cryptographic puzzle. So it's 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 frustrating that uh, that he's just he's technically wrong about this, which like it kind of, um, kind of explains why he might be wrong about these other things, like these economic things. He just doesn't, just doesn't understand it well enough to, uh, to, to be making, making this article. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, this system increases the call. I mean, where yeah, do you the next go sentence next? that you know makes Bitcoin transactions slower. It also makes Bitcoin transactions slower and costs you to process compared with intermediated networks such as Visa and PayPal. So Bitcoin transactions basically travel at the speed of light. Um, when I send, if I were to send Slappy a Bitcoin tra- on-chain transaction, he would almost instantly as long as it takes for the uh that information to travel from my computer or my phone over to wherever slappy's his whatever he's received his wallet that's receiving that transaction that's that's as fast as electrons and and information can travel through through a network which is basically instant um yeah but i have to but in order for him to accept that transaction and trust that I'm not going to try to double spend it. It needs to be added to the ledger. So that's where, you know, the, we'll call, uh, you know, you know, the confirmed transaction takes a little bit more time and takes a little bit uh, uh, of more money. But, you know, I guess he's not comparing it to altcoins here, but like altcoins don't are not faster than Bitcoin. Because again, that website I mentioned, howmanyconfs.com, it shows you the amount of time that you have to wait for those other networks to uh, to get the same sort of uh, uh, of of um, proof of work built on top of the confirmations that 
as Bitcoin does. So let's say you've got a blockchain. Well, it's got it's got three second blocks. So I can have a, a transaction confirmed in three seconds. Well, you've got no proof of work behind it. And double spending that would be really inexpensive compared to Bitcoin. So in order for you to have the same confidence that you're not going to be able to double spend that transaction, you're going to have to end up waiting way more time than you would on Bitcoin. Um, if you wanted to, to send a billion dollars and you wanted to use a cryptocurrency, the fastest way to do it, to be confident that it's not going to be double spent, would be Bitcoin. Because it's got the most proof of work behind it. Because what proof of work does is it's, it, it gives you an idea of how expensive um, it would be to, to undo that transaction and get it into uh, another block. And, and so since there's just so much less processing power mining behind these other, other cryptocurrencies, you would, it would take so much longer. So mm-hmm. that's like, that's why it's, and I, I don't, I don't want to, um, straw man him here because he wasn't comparing him to, to other cryptocurrencies, but that's, that's kind of where a lot of people kind of make that argument against Bitcoin say, oh, it's slow and expensive compared to this other stuff where I could use this, you know, coin XYZ and I could do it in three seconds. Well, <laughs> you're not getting any sort of, uh, any sort of confidence that the, the, the payment's going to remain there as you would on Bitcoin. Uh, but he compares it to Visa and PayPal. And it's just, you're comparing apples, apples to oranges. Visa and, and PayPal are layers on top of the of the base layer money systems. Like I, what's that? Would be a couple layers. Yeah. I mean, your bank has the credit card. Like I, like I said a few minutes ago, you want to, uh, you, you want something that's more akin to, uh, the on-chain layer or the base layer of, of the banking system then make a wire transfer. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're going to tell me that that's, faster and cheaper than a Bitcoin on chain and, and has a better user experience than a, than a Bitcoin transaction. Okay. I don't think you've done either. Then you've neither made a wire transfer or a Bitcoin transaction. So if you want to compare Visa and PayPal to something in Bitcoin compared to the lightning network, and not only is the lightning network faster than those, uh, are as fast. Oh, it depends on credit cards, Visa, takes a few seconds lightning is speed of light yeah i was gonna say it's negligible lightning network is also way cheaper i don't think people yeah like lightning network is you know the the nodes that you're that you're sending through set fees and if you've got to make a couple hops maybe they take a satoshi or two from you um so your your fee making a lightning payment is a couple satoshis maybe um, whereas you're making a credit card payment, it's like 30 cents plus 3% or something. Yeah. Now I know there's a lot of play, like the, one of the things people talked about was like buying a cup of coffee would be so expensive with Bitcoin and you can do it with your visa, but there are stores that say like minimum purchase for, for credit card like ten dollars or whatever because they don't want to pay the fees on yes over at libertymugs.com when you pay with a credit card 
we eat that cost and it's not a small cost it it's like we would be i mean we probably i don't know i, I don't know the number but you know we don't have huge margins on selling those mugs yeah well, one well, of them. we haven't that would be great right i haven't actually sold it i would love for someone to buy that mug that would be absolutely fantastic <laughs> But but like a, a good chunk of our profit margin is eaten by the credit card fees. And I'm not complaining. It is what it is. And we could raise our prices, but that would, you know, hurt our ability to, you know, sell the mugs. But when you're I didn't realize how expensive, you know, using credit cards was until I I was on the other side of it. Um, yeah. And it's it's certainly, you know, a lot of companies are sure. willing to eat that cost because more people, you know, it's easy to carry around a card in your wallet than have cash on. Yeah, you I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it exists. I'm, I'm happy to pay it. Yeah, but it's not. But it's not cheap. Yeah, but it's it's not cheap. And a lot of time, you know, a lot of times Bitcoin transactions, even getting them on chain pretty quickly, depending on on what the the network traffic is, it can actually be pretty be pretty cheap to get an on chain transaction. Uh, and that's right now. Yeah. I don't expect that to continue in the future, and that's why these these secondary layers are so important. But uh, I, I this this last sentence is probably the worst one. It might be the worst uh, one in the entire easily. Piece. I think. Well, probably. I'll let you. Uh, I'll even, let you even as a. Yeah. Should we reread it? Even as a replacement to highly imperfect central bank money, Bitcoin has shortcomings. As the pre-programmed and fixed supply of Bitcoins intended to protect against their future depreciation would make it ill-suited to deliver macroeconomic stability were it ever to gain general acceptance. Uh, I'd like you to go into that a little more, <laughs> right? Like you just make a state, not you. The author just makes a statement. That, uh, you know, Bitcoin having a fixed amount is Imagine a bad thing. being a libertarian and thinking that. Right. Like that is incredible. Without any explanation or to say why it would be ill-suited to deliver macroeconomic stability. Um, just assuming that's, a, that's it. That's the problem. Like, like this wasn't thought of or people didn't want a fixed supply. <laughs> like... Yeah, you, know, you think there'd be some curiosity there. Like, wait, this was a computer program written. Why did they hard code a number? Maybe I should find out why they did that. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's that's kind of that's wild to me that that would be that would be considered yeah, a criticism. Yeah, obviously, like I, I get it, I get it from like exactly. if you're a Keynesian or something, or if you never heard of Bitcoin, you're like, wait, there's only 21 million. Well, what are they going to do about inflation? Like, how are you going to keep up yeah. the money supply? Like, if you know nothing, I could see that question. But if you're writing an article a as libertarian a libertarian on money, yeah, like that's this guy should be this guy should be <laughs> fired. I mean, I mean, really, when I saw the tweet that from libertarianism.org, and they wrote this, and I read it, my my response was. Something like you should have had someone better write this. Shouldn't have had anyone. I'll take my chances on on most people. Any libertarian writing it, yeah. almost. That that one that one really hurts. Take, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, why do you... Okay, so why do you think having a fixed supply is a good thing? Because it means that you're, it's going, your money's going to appreciate in value. Incentivizes savings. It's good. It's good for you to, when you store your wealth, assuming that, you know, if Bitcoin becomes money and that's the general medium of exchange, that's the unit of account, um, then holding your dollar, hold, nah, holding your dollars, man, holding your Bitcoin means you get wealthier, uh, assuming that, that production increases and there's, there's advances and we can, that we can create more stuff with less inputs you can buy more stuff you you amount of increase your purchasing power and and who what individual with given the choice between saying would you rather have your unit of money worth less tomorrow or would you rather have it be worth more tomorrow would say i'd rather have it be worth less i mean that that having it worth well that causes people to spend right i mean like a lot of times people complain about like a consumer society or like people just spend all their money. They live paycheck to paycheck. Well, in a way that's kind of a rational way to act because your money is going to decrease in value. So get rid of it, spend it, buy what you want, get, give me, you know, as the Keynesians would, would say like money velocity is good. So just keep moving the money. Um, And that's what the fiat system encourages. Whereas, if you knew your money was going to be worth more in the future, you'd probably be a little more careful about how you spend it. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many benefits and we've talked about before, like, you know, we've talked about, it it would be two hours and 37 minutes. If we talked about, you know, how the benefits (laughs) of, of a hard money versus easy money. So, yeah, uh, let's continue. If, and if you, if you really, if you really want to go and actually go buy the Bitcoin standard by safety and a moose. Definitely. And also, if like you're new and you're listening, maybe someone uh, told you to check us out for our Bitcoin takes, uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter and ask to go yeah, into we more Yeah, we can direct that. you to resources but, or uh, past episodes or maybe an- yeah. you know, answer questions. Yeah. Um, all right. I, do you want me to continue or do you have anything else to no, add on I that wonderful paragraph? Okay. The high cost and limited... limited discretion of running all transactions on the Bitcoin ledger means that even in a world where Bitcoin dominated contracts became the norm and Bitcoin, the most popular medium of exchange intermediaries, such as commercial banks and private payment networks would continue to play a role. They might, for example, process thousands of transactions daily, but only settle the day's final balance on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, This would take advantage of the blockchain's permanent immutable nature also reducing the cost of using it. And while many fans of Bitcoin dislike the idea of relying on intermediaries, even they have attempted to come up with ways to reduce congestion on the Bitcoin network so it can come closer in processing speed to established networks such as Visa. Currently, Bitcoin puts through just seven transactions per second compared with Visa's 24,000. So I was wrong. Well, technically, I don't know. I said he... I mean, he does link yes, to Lightning Network. He... he he does not mention the Lightning Network, but he links to an article about Lightning Network where he says even even they have attempted to come up with ways to reduce. Yeah, as attempted. if Lightning Network yeah. doesn't have a lot of isn't working and have a lot isn't of isn't working. Now Lightning Network may not be the the you know the ultimate thing that we do, 
as as far. But like, <laughs> you can't just say the lightning out where like throw it just a link. They'd be like, oh, they're kind of playing around with with this little thing. They try. Um, where was I going to start with this? Oh, like I'm okay. Like I don't necessarily believe that Bitcoin will end up having like a bunch of uh, banks that that ultimately use Bitcoin, but they have their own layers on top of it, uh, or or just like do it custodially. You, you know, you would have you have to use Bitcoin custodially through them. But that's a lot better than what we have now. Like, way better. Because it... Yeah, yeah. compared so, to what... That's... Like, I would accept that. I, I think I think there, Bitcoin has more to offer. I think there's engineering yeah. uh, solutions that can be come up with that... that will... Uh, that will alleviate that issue. But the hard problem has been solved. And the hard problem is making it... making hard money. So anything on top of that is is really just gravy. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm fine with him saying that there's going to be, uh, you know, banks will, and other private networks will still have to, you know, do some intermediation. Uh, you know, obviously that's not ideal, but that's way better than what we have. And that still doesn't mean that they have the ability to inflate yeah, to change they still the cannot do yeah. that, and that is what is most important. And that's exactly and so that's right. why trying to raise the block limit to try to increase the uh, increase the transaction throughput on chain at the expense of maintaining, uh, you know, the, the decentralized network is just an absolutely horrible idea because you're risking what is most important. Um, and again, he compares, you know, he kind of, you know, he links to an article about the lightning network, but then again, compares Bitcoin on chain to Visa, which Visa, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure the lightning network kicks Visa's butt as far as transactions go, That's or at least it's on par mentioned. with it. So yeah. it's just. And the other thing too is that e- even if there's with with things like we mentioned, uh, li- liquid as a side chain, um, there's it, it's it's not totally do, using something like that would still not be totally custodial. Uh, they still have to it would it would take a lot for them to kind of manipulate or steal your money from you or cheat you in somehow. So even if we had to use liquid for everything or things like liquid, still just a gajillion times better than what we have. So let's not uh, let's not let perfection get in the way of progress. But all that said, yeah. I still really think that we don't have we won't have to rely on on intermediaries. For stuff, I think that I think that there's good work going on in, in things like Lightning and, and whatever's going to be built on top of Lightning, or things that are similar to it that that that'll solve those problems. So it's still so early on, and and they're making so much headway. Yep. Yeah. So I buy and hold. Um, I'll continue. <clears throat> Intermedi- intermediaries. 
Could also make Bitcoin a more macroeconomically desirable money by issuing Bitcoin-dominated units and automatically altering their quantity in response to demand and speed of circulation, which monetary economists call velocity. This is how commercial banks in countries such as Canada and Scotland maintain monetary and financial stability at the time of the gold standard. Their gold reserves were fixed, but the banknotes they issued while still ultimately redeemable in gold, varied with demand and velocity. Neither Canada nor Scotland had a central bank at that time, yet they achieved better macroeconomic outcomes than England and the United States, which did have central banks. By helping Bitcoin to gain general acceptance while also dispensing with the need for government monopoly in the form of a central bank, this intermediated solution could please libertarian fans. So how did Canada and Scotland end up? How'd that work out for them? Are they still on that system? That's the problem with arguments like this is that like, Oh, it used to work. Well, it doesn't work anymore. Like they found the exploits that they could they could poke into and and they figured out a way to game it so yeah it was great mm-hmm. i mean we could talk about the gold uh right. gold standard of of the united states and how how great it was and how you know there would be you know banks would start inflating too much and there would be a bank run and they would go out of business and and you know so the, and the best banks that didn't inflate and and do uh uh what's it called Man, why am I blanking on the, on what inflation is? Um, yeah, by fractional doing fractional reserves reserve. and 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 lying to their customers by handing out money that they didn't actually have. You know, we that worked for a while until it didn't work anymore. So, way to confirm that that gold was there yeah. when you spent it. Um, so in in fairness, he's saying like Bitcoin might be able to get us back to that but like it's not it's just missing the whole point of bitcoin that we don't want that kind of thing we don't want like you know you criticize the velocity of you know the idea of the velocity earlier it's just it's just a nonsense idea it doesn't matter we don't need right like there's no purpose of raising and lowering the money supply to try to deal with demand supply and demand that is the purpose of the market. Right. The, the, the amount of the dollars or whatever, the dollars, the gold, like, whatever. Why in the world would matter. a libertarian be advocating for central planning or think that libertarian, libertarian fans of Bitcoin would be like, well, I mean, this, this, they'll, they'll be satisfied with this kind of central planning. It's just, it's ridiculous. Mm hmm. So I maybe I, I in the beginning I was a little bit too hard on him with saying like oh well, Canada and Scotland how that end up because he's not he's not saying that they should go back to what they had before he's saying that Bitcoin um, would allow them to have a better opportunity to have a more stable uh, money system but what he's advocating for is not good he's advocating for banks to try to that that think that they can control you know these you know, I don't know. Right, I guess. Wait, is he? Is, let me let me take a step back. Now I apologize. He's not calling for central planning. 
Sorry, Diego. I apologize. Yeah. You can keep your job. Um, but still, I mean, it's. I don't know. Hold on. Let me let me reread this. I feel like a noodle now. Getting all hot and bothered. Yeah. At least at least at least we caught it. You know what? I got all hung up on the velocity thing. I got upset. Yeah, well, he says a more macroeconomically desirable money by issuing Bitcoin-denominated units and automatically altering their quantity in response. Yeah, to that's the not great. Circulation. That's not great. We don't want we don't want banks. Um, Why do you want anyone can like being right. able to control that or doing fra- like he's calling for fractional reserve banking, which I know there there's yeah. you know there's people on both sides uh, and there's people on both sides of that issue in libertarianism. Yeah, you can be a libertarian. Um, I think the fraction reservists are wrong, but you know, there's at least debate among you know, yeah, respectable people in that. But um, yeah, it just kind of doesn't seems. It seems like Bitcoin kind of op- should obsolete that kind of thing. Right. Um, we don't want banks. So, I mean. That's that's what supply and demand is. If there's more demand for something, then like it becomes more valuable. If there's less demand, it drops in value. It, it's I don't know. I'm con- I'm confused by that paragraph. I'll put it I'll put it that way. Yeah. Issuing more. Well, whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe I can just edit that one? out so it doesn't sound like I messed up at all yeah. but i won't because um, yeah, um that would require more effort than it's worth for me to you know wear egg on my face i'd rather just wear the egg sure. <laughs> yeah take it sorry diego uh whether bitcoin will ever come to replace fiat money remains uncertain if not highly unlikely yet even if its sole effect is to discourage governments from wreaking havoc on their country's monetary and financial systems for short-term political gain, Bitcoin's invention will have been worthwhile. The most deleterious abuses have happened when governments or dominant private firms found themselves in unassailable monopoly positions, keeping them on their toes by creating viable competitors such as Bitcoin is therefore essential. Well, I don't know. Do you think Bitcoin will motivate the Federal Reserve to stop? If Bitcoin doesn't work, if Bitcoin fails, then no, there's no motivation. If there's, there's no motivation for them to not do what they do. Right. Like I it's mean, not, I, I, this is where I, you know, I, I, I question the understandings of monetary ac- economics like this because it's like, if there's something harder, that becomes the money. It has always happened that way. And there's no economic uh, principle or argument that would say otherwise. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to jump down his throat or anyone else's if they say something like, well, I'm not really sure if Bitcoin's going to become money. You know, there's there's no guarantees in anything. But as long as Bitcoin's hardness uh, is maintained, like I said, the economics around it point to it becoming money, uh, point it point to it to, to beating uh, 
stuff. And at that point, governments have to change their ways in order to survive. If they want to they want to try to fight against it as hard as they can and not adopt a Bitcoin standard, then they're and the only way that they can uh, have any sort of power is by just printing more money when they need it. I mean, they're just going to print themselves into hyperinflation oblivion. Um, otherwise, they have to adopt a Bitcoin standard, and that's going to make it way more expensive for them to treat people as tax cattle because they can't kind of do this circuitous way of inflating the money supply to um, to extract value from people. If they want to extract value through, uh, you know, to pay for stuff that they want to do, they're going to have to directly tax people, um, mm-hmm. which means they're going to drastically have to reduce the size and scope of what the government does because there is no way that people are going to accept the tax bills that would have to happen otherwise. Um, and so when you know the government is getting less and less value out of people, that means the market has a lot more control of value, which means that you know resources can actually be put to their best, better, the, you know, the best uses, because the market is the best suited for doing that. Central planning cannot do that, and so as that happens, the market becomes more and more productive, and starts producing more and more technologies that outstrip the state's ability to to compete in that market, the market versus the government. And that's just going to further uh, obsolete government services until I think the government just simply can't exist or won't exist uh, because just the alternatives to government will just simply become better and cheaper for people. And it's going to be really expensive to try to take money from people for the government. So eventually just kind of it, it'll be like any any sort of other new technology that comes along uh as far as anarchy goes it's going to be like hey do you remember like before wikipedia yeah i kind of remember life before wikipedia or life without smartphones but not like really remember right. that moment in time where we like realize now we're on it i think that's how it's going to work with this it's just going to be slowly sl- yeah people will use it and then everyone will yeah, have and then it one and day you kind of take a step back and be like oh Oh yeah, I guess there's kind of, I guess this is anarchy. Now I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be next year. Uh, but I think it, you know, some point, hopefully in our lifetimes. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetimes. Uh, a lot's got to happen. A lot's got to happen in between now and then. But um, yeah. How much are we on time? Hey, we're, we're kind of hour and ten minutes. One ten. Not going to go on my other rant that I had. Like about. Yeah, I was going to say I, I was afraid of that. That that article I might take a lot us quicker, but I guess there was a lot more to this than. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot in there. I only kind of read through it quickly once, but this was uh, so. So uh, we'll link to this in the show notes page, mcflugel.com slash two two seven um i guess we'll also send this out i know diego's on twitter so 
We'll link him to it. We'll give him some feedback. Uh, hopefully, we were were fair and correct. You know, I know I got that second to last paragraph all bungled up. So I do, Diego. I I do. You know, actually apologize for flipping out on that um, when I messed up your argument. Because I do try to like really try hard <laughs> to. Uh, to not get stuff like that wrong because people do listen and not that I think that, you know, I am the, uh, people are hanging on my words for everything, but you know, people spend time to listen and they don't, they don't want garbage. So yeah, that's why they listen to friends against government. Yeah. If you want garbage, you go over there. Um, I don't know, do you have anything else about this piece you wanted to, to say? Uh, like, again, I, I'll just kind of reiterate what we were saying in the beginning. Go ahead. No, I mean, no, I was just going to say, like, of course we were harsh on it, uh, but I think for good reason. Yeah, this is important stuff. This is like, we have the opportunity to really have a, an incredibly powerful tool to fight against the state and make it obsolete. And when you just aren't qualified to talk about it and say incorrect stuff. I mean, you're, you're delaying people using that tool because you're misleading them or, or I don't want to say misleading, but, but sending them down the wrong path so that maybe they're like, Oh, well, Bitcoin's good. Cause, cause it's kind of like the chic thing to do among a lot of libertarians is that they, tr- they try to be agnostic about, like, well, I, you know, I believe there should be competition for money. So, hey, uh, you know, we'll have compete. They think that competing monies mean that we're going to have like a hundred or a thousand or whatever number are going to be uh, different monies or currencies all in the economy at the same time, which is barter, which doesn't make any sense. Um, and that's fine if you're like, hey, I kind of don't really understand this Bitcoin or even the monetary economics thing. So I really don't know. I know there's a lot out there and I don't know which one's going to be the one. That's fine. Um, you know, we, we all have different understandings of things. Um, but to criticize people who have, you know, some economic understanding and some technical understanding to be like, no, it's, it's definitely going to be Bitcoin, not this other stuff. It would be like if Slappy, you and I decided to open up hamburger joints across the street from each other and I just decided to serve poop on a bun and you had people going, well, you know, I'm going to eat at both places and I understand it's poop on a bun, but I want the, uh, I want the market to determine, uh, who has the better hamburger. So I better eat at both because that like Ethereum and these other altcoins are poop on a poop bun. You don't even get a real bun with those things. So like that's, that's kind of where this, like you don't have to be agnostic. You don't have to say, well, I think there's going to be a bunch of stuff going on. I think it's all going to kind of work together. It's, it's, you know, the the market is people making individual choices. So you have the ability Mm -hmm. to make the individual choice to use Bitcoin, uh, as your money, or at least right now in its monetization process as a savings vehicle. Don't eat the poop sandwich. I mean, you can, I guess you can if you Piss want to. Um, 
Yeah. To do so just, at your own it's, risk. It's probably not going to be great for you. And we're, and we're just trying to warn you about it. And saying, like, it's not, you shouldn't eat that kind of stuff. You're not violating, you know, eating a poop sandwich is not a violation of non-aggression principle. But it's, yes. So it's libertarian. It's, it is the, uh, yeah. Libertarian position is you may eat the poop sandwich. But that's like the, uh, that that is the have fun staying poor meme in Bitcoin. Or it's where people like try to criticize and argue against Bitcoin and you just eventually say like, all right, I don't, I don't care if you buy Bitcoin or not, or if you like Bitcoin or not. If you want to go out and, and, you know, go onto all these scam coins and buy them, knock your socks off. I can't stop you, but you know what? Have fun staying poor. You're going to, you're going to lose money on it. So that's kind of the, the, you know, the warning to you. So enjoy your poop sandwich is the equivalent. So with that, yeah. Do you have a free you market go. success story? I do. No, uh, do this you? one's pretty neat, and it's about Bitcoin. So, and it's also pretty neat because a lot of people um, in our recent episodes, especially with the running the full node, uh, have been asking about how to get into Bitcoin, what to do, and everything. And, and a lot of people are concerned about privacy for good reason. And it's a little bit more difficult to get uh, non KYC Bitcoin. But there is a company out there called Azteco that the way they sell Bitcoin is they sell – what they're actually selling you is a code. But with that code, you can punch it in at their website and you can redeem it for Bitcoin. So it's a really clever way to get out of the uh, all the KYC stuff because they're technically not transmitters of like money. They're, they're transmitters of codes. I think that's – how they kind of legally can route around it. And a uh, friend of ours in the uh, libertarian space, Joe Rogers, he is a vendor. And so you can kind of, you can hit him up on Twitter. I'll try to remember to link to it in the show notes page. Um, and yeah, you can buy Bitcoin from him. And I did it this morning. I used Strike, which is a pretty cool uh, way to, you can hook up a bank account that uh, you can use to pay Bitcoin and Lightning uh, uh, invoices from your from your bank account. So obviously, with this kind of stuff, you you know your bank knows that you're sending money someplace, but uh, you're not going through all the normal KYC processes to get the Bitcoin. So uh, it's a little bit better for privacy, and it's real fast and easy. You don't have to go through setting up everything. You just pay his invoice. And uh, he sends you a code back, and there's some wallets, like the blue wallet. It can uh, scan a QR code that makes it really easy to, to, to accept the Bitcoin. But, you know, I, I had my full node and was able to see that transaction instantly come on my full node. And then on my local block explorer that I have through one of the services that I have installed with my node... Uh, I was able to see it get confirmed and see, you know, everything else within the transaction. So it, it's, it was a really, really cool experience. And uh, I think it solves a great problem. And, you know, market market doing stuff. People, people, the people demand they have easy ways to buy Bitcoin without going through all the KYC garbage. 
and the market provideth. So I think it's a great and relevant one. So we'll uh, hit up Joe if you uh, want to buy Bitcoin from. So show notes page right for on. this episode will be mcflugel.com mcflugel.com slash 227. Uh, we'll link to the article in there from libertarianism.org. And uh, thanks for listening. We will uh, catch you next week, which I think is going to be a little bit of a spicy episode. Peace.